Hey, fellow learning geeks. Some of our podcasts are so classic that they deserve a second listen. This is one of those episodes. Clint Pulver was a, one of our guests. He's an inspiration, and we were fortunate to learn from him about his work as the undercover millennial. You'll understand what that means when you listen to the episode. He shares his research and helps us to understand what is it that causes employees to want to stay at a company and actually say, I love it here. You'll also love Clint's personal story. So hit the rewind button if you remember what those are. Kick back, listen, learn, and geek out with this classic Learning Geeks episode featuring Clint Pulver. Welcome, welcome everybody. How are you guys hey, doing? Hey, doing great today. Yeah, doing great. Uh, Clint, welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Thank you. It's an honor to be a part of this. This is exciting. We've already had a good time, and we haven't even started. <laughs> well, we were in the green room, and you know, our regular listeners are either going to appreciate this or roll their eyes. But when we were talking about, you know, yeah, you usually start off, and we, you know, we do an open, and we do the music, and then we talk a little bit. It usually has Star Wars. Clint showed us in his office slash studio that he's in right now. He has a full-size screen-used Wicket the Ewok double, <laughs> I guess it is, right? Yeah, it's, it's not Wicket. It's just a... Oh, it's, it's not just Wicket? A, it's, no, it's not Wicket. It's just another Ewok that they used in Return of the Jedi. Oh, man. It's, I totally just lost scene when, cool. when C-3PO starts flying through the air and all the little Ewoks start freaking out, That's that's it was a stand-in prop used for yeah. that. So part of the tribe. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome, yeah. Clint. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I'm, I feel so at home right now. <laughs> we are, are super people. glad. You, we are super glad you're here. But actually, Dana, why, why don't you share the story of how you and Clint got to know each other? Because I think it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of interesting. So uh, you, I think listeners know that I moved in September from Chicago area out to Utah to be closer to family. And it turns out that uh, my... Uh, the home office that I'm sitting in, if I lean my head to the right, I can look out and I can see Clint's yard. So Clint happens to be a neighbor. <laughs> neighbors. And uh, I didn't think much of it, but uh, Julie was doing a little bit of uh, reconnaissance to try and understand more about our neighbors. And she says, hey, you need to check out Clint Pulver's website. And I think this is a guy you should know because I just think it's a guy you should know. So so I reached out to Clint and we had a great conversation and uh, Clint is a guy I should know. And, and I thought, let's get him on the podcast because I think he's a guy you, you, know, you two should know and others should know. And given the Star Wars connection, that even is uh, more reinforced. We, we exchange <laughs> sugar a lot, Dana. I just, whenever I need some sugar, I go right to Dana's house. That's right. Or I need chocolate, I call up Clint. He goes, yeah, uh, yeah I got some chocolate for you. Got you, got you covered. So the the interesting thing, right? The interesting thing, and, and I think part of the reason uh, in your cold open you mentioned this, is Clint has done some really interesting research. It actually sounds like research that the, the three of us would have a lot of fun doing. I, I would not pass for it because I'm much older than a millennial. But uh, Clint has done some research where he's kind of gone uh, behind the scenes and talked with employees about you know their experience and uh, happened to put a book together called I Love It Here. And uh, I, I think I think it's going to be a, a fun discussion over the next little bit. That's amazing. Well, Clint, tell us a story. You know, I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're sitting here. We're, we're looking at you. We can see you. And I, I have no idea how old you actually are, but you could totally pass for a millennial. I am a millennial, right? It's oh, crazy. see, right, right. So yeah, it's not, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it, so five years ago, he's eighty a, years old, folks. But he looks like he's, <laughs> no, no, no. That's me, Bob. <laughs> right? They call me Grogu. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, oh man! Uh, so five years ago, I was a part of a mastermind group when we were in New York City, and we were just meeting with different CEOs, executives, business leaders, and one of the guys that we met with owned a sporting good retail chain in downtown Manhattan. And we're in there, we're in the store, listening to him talk about business strategy and how they've had to adapt over the years. And he had this thick New York accent, and he, I'll never forget. He said, "You got to adapt, or you're gonna die. If you don't <laughs> adapt, you're gonna die." And I was like, "Okay, very profound statement." I agreed with him, right? You, you've got to change business strategy. But then I, I, I was looking around in the store, and I just asked the question, "What about your management style? Hmm. What about people? Have you felt the need to adapt?" And he said, "No, nope, not at all." The way I, I manage today is the same way I managed 20 years ago, and we get results. I was like, all right. And, and I'm looking at the store. All of his employees are my age or younger. So millennials, Gen Z. And I just thought to myself, I said, I wonder. I wonder if they would say the same thing. Right. And so we had 35 minutes to kill. We thanked him for his time. I had nothing else to do until we needed to be to the next place. So I walked up to the first employee, and I looked just like this. I had a backwards hat on. I was wearing a hoodie. And I, I was just a customer. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, I'm just curious, what's it like to work here? And the kid got quiet, looked around. I felt like we're doing an illegal drug exchange. <laughs> and he said, he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm honestly curious. And he goes, man, I cannot stand it here. He's like, dude, we're cogs in a wheel. Every one of us. We're just, I don't even think my manager knows I'm here right now. And I'm like, well, why, why do you work here then? He goes, oh, I've already applied to three, three other places. As soon as I get an opportunity, I'm gone. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe the kid's just having a bad day. So I went and asked another employee and another and another. And at the end of the 35 minutes, I had interviewed six of his staff members. And at the end of those conversations, five out of the six of his employees said they would not be working for him and his store in less than three and a half months. Wow. The perception of leadership versus the reality of the employee experience could not have been more more different. Right. And that was the moment. That was the moment for me because I thought, man, what if the CEO could hear this? And I realized that I created an environment purely based off of my age. I was young. I was not a survey. I wasn't a one-on-one -on -one <laughs> management meeting. Right. I was just another millennial. You weren't a performance management meeting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what started it. And that was five years ago. And we have worked with 181 organizations and I have interviewed now over 10,000 employees undercover. And it has been, uh, it's been a ride. It's been a really cool journey. And we've created an environment where employees could speak their truth. And we've created the most, in my opinion, what I believe to be the most real and authentic data behind how great leaders were creating organizations that their people never wanted to leave. So, Clint, did you encounter any organizations where the people were the opposite of that, where they're like, I love, I do love it here. I really want to stay. I'm excited to grow my career. That, that was the magic, Dana. That was the magic of the research. It wasn't found when an employee was dissatisfied with their job. The magic was when I would go in and I'd ask an employee, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my job. I love our culture. I love what we're doing. My manager, Susie, oh. You got to meet Susie. And then when that would trend in an organization from person after person after person, and then to learn what great leaders were doing to create environments that people never wanted to leave. 
And that's why we cry. We titled the book, I Love It Here. And it's a solution-based book. It's an actionable narrative that's prescriptive. I didn't want it to be you know, another leadership book written by a self-proclaimed leadership expert. That's not what this is. This is a book written by 10,000 employees who knew when their leaders were getting it right. So, so what were some of the kind of the big things you took away from the 10,000 interviews? What, what, did you, uh, what did you learn from the program? We promise we'll still buy the book even if you give us some secret sauce. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, if, a, if, a, if an employee hated their job, they talked about the manager. If an employee loved their job, they talked about the mentor. Oh. Mentorship mentorship is key here because usually when we talk leadership, you talk leader or leadership and then management or the manager, those two factors. But I found there's this middle ground of a mentor. In, in leadership, traditional leadership, you're the person that stands in front and you lead. You have the vision. You're the visionary. This is where we're going. I'm going to get you from point A to point B to point C. And you're a leader if people follow you. Now, the manager is making sure that there's no leaks on the ship. Right? How do we get there quick and efficiently? But the mentor, the mentor is the person that is taking care of people on the ship. Mentorship could not be a title. You couldn't just give somebody that, that role. It had to be earned. And that's what was so beautiful about it. You could not become a mentor until the mentee invited you into their heart. When we can create an environment where leadership becomes voluntary, right? They voluntarily choose to follow you because of who you are. And because of who you are connects me to my dreams. And you think about it, right? In any great film, Star Wars, right? Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan. He had Yoda. He had the people in, in his life that they were mentors because of who they were. They connected him to his dreams, allowed him to flourish, to become something more. Those individuals in the workplace were so significant. It was mentorship, not management, that people worked for. And I think in the analogy that you just used with Star Wars, Luke didn't know what his dream was. Mm. But the mentor saw potential in him, right? Absolutely. Because a whole new world opened up to him that he had only kind of dreamed about but really didn't know much he didn't know the detail. Totally. Listen to Dana preaching the Star Wars. Hey. I know. I'm, I've good. been hanging out with you guys long enough. Clint, I, I love the ship analogy, but I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't get the idea of Gopher from the love boat as the mentor now being out of getting out of my head because he's the right? guy who takes care of you on the boat. Yeah, totally. And, and, and it was really interesting when I would go up to an employee and I'd say, you know, I'm just you know, thinking about applying. What's it like to work here? You know, why do you stay? And they would say things like, I, I stay here because of Susie. I'm honestly, I've been here for 15 years because of Susie. Who's Susie? And I'd go to the next employee. Why do you work at Susie? Oh man, you've got to meet Susie. Why? And and when we found significant leaders like this that became the mentors, there were five characteristics that each of those people possessed. And if you ever become a mentor, in some way, shape, or form, you have to have these five C's. And I think it's kind of, uh, I don't know, in, in lieu of whether it's Star Wars or it's the, the, the business world or it's relationships or even parenting, giving your people a reason to connect with you, making sure that it's earned and, be, and becoming that mentor comes down to these five C's. So number one, those mentors had confidence. It's the first C. Confidence is a mindset. They were confident in their ability to get you to where you want to go. They're also confident in themselves. Confidence exudes trust. 
if you are confident in yourself and your abilities, that builds a relationship of, okay, connection. You can help me get where I want to go. The second C is credibility. What's your background? You know, how long have you been a Jedi? <laughs> you know, how many Siths have you, have you fought? <laughs> you know, are, are, you know, if you're the car dealer, dealership manager, how many cars have you sold? I want to know your history. Credibility matters in who I'm going to choose to mentor with. The second C was competence. Being a practitioner, not just a theorist, mattered. You might know everything about the game of basketball, but can you get out and actually shoot a hoop? I want to work with somebody who's in the trenches. They're competent in their ability to connect me to my dreams. The, the, the fourth C is candor. Candor, candor, candor. Great mentors had the ability to create relationships so strong that honesty could exist. I want a mentor with someone who's going to give it to me straight. You're not the mentor if you're the guy that's just constantly you know, blowing smoke. You're wonderful. Here's a, here's a gold trophy. Keep it up. That, that's not true mentorship. It's kind of that, that bank account theory of they make the deposits of trust so that they can make some withdrawals. They've created a relationship where honesty can exist. And then the fifth C is caring. The ability to care. The moment we stop caring for individuals in our mentorship is the moment we fail as a mentor. That's what makes it so powerful. They know that whoever they're mentoring with has their best interest in mind. Those five C's, confidence, credibility, competence, candor, and the ability to care. If you've ever had a mentor in your life that's really been that influential person, I guarantee you they had those five characteristics. Now, um, Clint, when you said that they weren't thinking about management, only the mentors, in some cases, were there, were there mentors some type of manager, supervisor, leader, or did they just not associate it with that? They just said the Susie person, and and that's all they cared about. They were only thinking of that individual as a mentor, not anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it was this this person because of who they were. They became an advocate, not just a developer. And they didn't say like, oh, I have a mentor. That's why I work here. No, but that person exuded the characteristics of great mentorship. As I was looking more into your work, and again, I can't read your book yet because it's coming out, what, April something? April 13th. Put that plug in? April, April 13th. 13th. Yeah. So one of the things I was really fascinated about and, and curious is around the the learning aspect. And so the the folks that you're talked with, the, the you know, the correlation between learning and wanting to feel like they belong here, they love it here. I mean, part of that is probably with the mentor, but I'm I'm curious from your we are Learning Geeks podcast and we are interested in learning development, how much do you think it is uh, correlated to the wanting to stay there and love uh, it there? It played a massive role. If they cannot grow where they're at, they'll go and grow somewhere else. And that's not just, you know, growing up in a company, right? And it's not just being promoted, but it's growing as a person. It's growing intellectually. It's being able to, to take courses or learning development programs that grow them as an individual that helps them in their job. It could also help them outside of their job. We had uh, one person in, in the medical clinic, in the medical world, and they're all hygienists. And so it's, it's not like, it's like, what else do you promote somebody to? You're a hygienist. You could become an office manager. There's kind of a ceiling there. But she understood the, the importance of developing people, and she she enrolled in the Dave Ramsey course and gave everybody Financial Peace University, and it was a course that everybody enrolled in, and it grew them as a, as a person. Her, her goal was, let's get you out of debt. Let's help you and your family become debt-free. Uh, another person, they provided uh, parenting courses. 
development courses that help them to be better moms and dads. You know, just little things like that. Again, if they can't grow where they're at, they will go and grow somewhere else. And when you have good development programs, it shows potential. It shows opportunity. I can grow here. And that's a massive piece of good retention. Yeah. Which essentially gives a ton of tools for a mentor to use. Yes. Yes. uh, Right there that you can direct people to to help them grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Clint, it, it, you mentioned a lot of the things that the uh, employees who love it here uh, kind of resonated with, and you talked about Susie. What are some common things that you found that irritate employees? Yeah, in every organization, there's four types of managers, four types of managers that we found. And we could trace back the satisfaction or dissatisfaction of those managers through the lens of the employee by two two variables. Number one was standards of the manager. Number two was connection or the lack thereof of both of those. Hmm. So the standards piece is like the expectations, the goals, uh, you know, you need to show up on time. We, we've got a product that we need to sell. There's, there's expectations in the job. The connection piece is the empathy, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting to the part about the person, understanding they have a life outside of work, being able to connect and get to the part about them. So those two variables, as we kind of outline these, are, I think are important to remember. The first manager we found is the removed manager. So they were low on standards and they were low on connection. This is the manager that should have probably stopped managing 20 years ago. <laughs> They're just burnt out. They're tired. This is the manager that's like, you know, I don't really care if you show up or not. Uh, I don't really care what you do here. Uh, I'm just going to be in the back office. If something's on fire, let me know. So this creates disengagement. Why should I show up on time as, as an employee if my boss could care less? Why should I perform or do more? It created that disengaged workforce. The second manager is the buddy manager. This is the manager that was high on connection, low on standards. Right. right. They wanted to be everybody's friend. They, they wanted to be liked more than they were respected. This is the manager that would go and play Xbox on the weekends with all of the all of the all of the team. And then on Monday morning when they come in guns a blazing and saying, We gotta do better, we gotta perform. Why are you showing up late? And they're like, dude, we just we just been watched Mandalorian last weekend and ate pizza. What why are you coming at me? Like it just it's a lateral uh, mentoring situation that just never works. It creates entitlement. That's where you have the employees that become more of the boss than the boss does. And then, and then uh, number four, or yeah, are we on number four? Yeah, number four is the controlling. Actually, we're on number, no, three. number three. On three, number three. three. Thank you, thank you. Number three, the controller, the controlling manager. So this is someone that's really high on standards, low on connection. This is that old command and control style of management. This is put your head down, go to work. Okay, I'm not here to be your friend. You, do, you know how we used to do this 20 years ago? Don't complain to me. I show you that I love you because I give you a paycheck. Right. So the first so, the, the first CEO that you talked about probably fell in that camp, right? Absolutely. The guy 100%. From the New York guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hard, rough, gruff. I'm not here to be your friend. Do your job. If you want a job, great. If you don't, I'll fire you. Easy come, easy go. So that created rebellion. These are the managers that are constantly going toe to toe with everybody. And then uh, and then number 4, the, the last one is the is what we call the mentor manager. And they were the manager that was equally high on their standards as much as they were on their ability to connect. And what did this create? Respect. Respect. They weren't always liked, but they were respected. And it, 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 was, a, it was a beautiful thing to watch. And I think it's really important to remember that in our research, we found that every single employee 
is asking the question, let me know when it gets to the part about me. Hmm. Let, let me know when your agenda and your meeting and, and your, your, your growth or your development plan, let me know when that considers me. And some managers and leaders, they hear that and they go, well, those entitled little shining stars in my <laughs> life, right? Like, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And I would say it's not so much about entitlement as it is about good business. Again, great mentorship, you're getting to the part about the person. You're giving them a reason to connect with you. I think in management, sometimes we treat people like a fireplace and we stand in front and we go, give me heat, then I'll give you wood. Give me the heat. <laughs> give me the results. Then I'll give you, I'll give you the fuel. I'll right. give you the recognition. Then we'll talk opportunity. And we need to flip that script. I, 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 was, I was the kid, you guys, in, in school. I, I struggled to sit still. I just, I had a hard time focusing. My, my left hand would tap, my right hand would tap. And obviously if you're sitting in a meeting and someone's clicking their pen or they're tapping their foot and you're like, do it one more time. And I swear <laughs> something bad will happen. It gets annoying. And I was nicknamed the twitcher. A lot of kids called me the tapper. I was in trouble constantly with teachers. I was sent to the principal's office and everybody saw this limitation, this problem. And I had one educator, one teacher, and his name was Mr. Jensen. And been teaching for a while, and he was my my fifth grade teacher. And he, he he looked at me and he said, "Listen," he said, "Kid," he said, "Clint, I need to talk to you. We're gonna have a conversation. I need you to stay after class." And I'm thinking, I'm getting I'm getting kicked out of school right. as a as a ten year old. <laughs> and all the other kids are like, "Oh, Twitcher's gonna die." <laughs> the bell rings, class dismissed. Everybody leaves. It's a completely empty room minus me and Mr. Jensen. He goes to the back of the room, says, "Come here, come here, sit down." And I walk up and he looks at me and he goes, listen, he said, Clint, you're kind of the kid that's on the list. Like everybody talks about you. You're, all the teachers, that, that you're, the, you're the problem. I, I watch you. You tap in my class and you tap in everybody else's class. But I've sat back and it's crazy. You'll sit there and you'll do your assignment and you'll write with your right hand and you'll start tapping with your left hand. And then you switch the pen and you'll start writing with your left hand and then you tap with your right hand. He looked at me and he said, I, I think you're ambidextrous. And I'm like, no, I'm Presbyterian. He's like, no. <laughs> no. He's like, no, 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 that's not what it means. No. He, he, said, he said, can you tap your head and rub your belly? And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And he said, can you switch it though? Can you rub your head and then tap your belly? And literally back and forth without thinking about it, I could yeah. do it. And he smiled and he looked at me and he said, Clint, I don't think you're a problem. I just think you're a drummer. Hmm. Some people hear that and they're like, what's the difference between those two things? <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> Coming from being a drummer when I was a kid growing up to high school, I, I, I would definitely agree with that about the loudness. Right. And yeah. In the basement. Yeah. But I am somebody, I am convinced that great leaders, good leadership, good uh, significance in the workplace is founded upon creating moments. Employees, we don't, we, they don't remember days. We remember moments. No employee ever said, I work here because my, my manager just runs the best meetings <laughs> or, or our vision statement's amazing and that's why I stay. <laughs> that's not what they talked about. They talked about moments of advocacy, moments where a leader got to the part about them. And in this moment, you guys, Mr. Jensen, the old teacher, he leaned back in his desk and he opened up the top drawer and he reached inside and he took out my very first pair of drumsticks, my very first pair. And he, he put them in my hands and he said, listen, I have no idea what's going to happen, 
but I want you to just keep them in your hands as much as you can. And that was 22 years ago, you guys, and I can sit here today and tell you honestly, 22 years ago, literally to this exact day, I've tried my best to keep my promise to Mr. Jensen. And for 22 years, I've had the opportunity to tour and record all over the world as a professional drummer. I've been on America's Got Talent. I played drums with Tim McGraw and Carrie Underwood, Blue Man Group. I, I remember when I graduated high school, I had no clue what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And so what do you do when you graduate and you have no clue? You go to college, right? <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, I went to school and I graduated in 2012 with a, a bachelor's degree and zero college debt. And that was all from music scholarships. And I, and I don't say all those things to go, wow, good for you, Clint, or what a list of accolades. That's not the reason. The reason I tell that story is because of one person who got to the part about me. One person who became an advocate, not just a teacher. And in doing so, helped me write a better story. That, that type of leadership in the workplace is what people work for. It's what people remember. It's the difference between being significant versus successful. Significance always wins. Be a Mr. Jensen. So, so Clint, what, why is it so difficult then to be considered in that mentor-manager or to be a, a, a Mr. Jensen? It's a great question. I think the coolest part about leadership is that it matters. The hardest part about leadership is that it matters every day. Consistency in leadership is difficult. Uh, creating moments consistently is difficult. And I, I found most leaders, like the, most leaders in leadership, uh, or even, you know, we can go parents, we can go almost anybody on this planet, you're busy. We're, we get really good at deeming success with busyness. If I'm busy, then that means I'm, I'm successful. I found in our research that the people that were able to do this were really, for the most part, they knew what they needed to do. Good leaders know what they need to do. But the great leaders knew what they needed to stop doing. Instead of making the to-do list, they made the to-don't list. They created boundaries. They, they, they understood what they needed to stop so that they could connect. How do you keep the main thing the main thing? Well, you stop trying to boil the ocean, for one. You simplify. Simplify your life. Employees spelled mentorship, T-I-M-E. Granted, they can't spell that well, but that's how they spelt it. Time. <laughs> And it's the same way your kids spell good parenting. It's the same way we, we, would, we would spell a good relationship. It's time. How do you expect to connect with people and, and to, to, to become this mentor when you have no time? You know, what, 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 what do you do when you wake up in the morning, you know, and, and you, you reach over to you, grab your phone, and we start scrolling through emails and what we've got to do or what happened last night? Or do you turn over to the person next to you and, and tell them how much you love them? I've I've told my wife this for years. <laughs> I, I've still I've always said, "Honey, marriage is grand, but divorce is about a hundred grand." <laughs> so, and it's it's kind of true. Uh, having employees, having a workplace that's the that's the grand idea. But when an employee leaves your organization, it costs you thousands and thousands of dollars. And what you lose in morale, productivity, uh, possibility, uh, I, I mean, all the things. And so simplify. Simplify your life. Start saying no to a few things so that, so that you can say yes to the things that really count, to the things that really matter. Clint, in the book, you uh, tell a story of when you first drove a car. 
to illustrate a point. Yeah. Maybe uh, as as one of the last things we share before we wrap up, you can share a little bit about that story and how it relates to the development that we we're talking about earlier. My dad, when we were driving home from church, I'll never forget. He he looked at me and he said, "You want to drive?" I, I was maybe maybe ten. Yeah, maybe, maybe 10, 11 years old. And he he said, "Do you want to drive?" And, and mom wasn't in the car. No, and I was like, "Yes, please." I'm like, "Yeah." I mean, that's a big deal, right? Sit in the seat, and and he, I, I came over and I sat in my dad's lap. It was the first time. I mean, I've been in the car for years, right? Going to grandma's house and trips and all the things. But when my dad put me in a position of ownership and literally let me put my hands on the wheel, everything changed. The perspective changed, the the reality of what was happening, what was taking place. I saw road signs I had never seen. I, I saw the, the, the creek differently. I saw the road differently because he, he gave me a chance to drive. And that sense of ownership is something that employees talked about, like little things. Like our manager brings us in every time we hire somebody, brings us in and lets us weigh in on the decision. We have a sense of ownership. You know, my, my manager, when we make a big decision, we're part of his board of mentors. And he brings us in and says, what do you think? This is something we're thinking about doing. What would you do? Just a sense of ownership where I feel like I'm not just a cog in the wheel, but I actually am a part of something. But, you know, the, the thread that I see all the way through between your dad and Mr. Jensen and Susie, it's Susie. Susie, yeah, is a great mentor, is that fundamental belief that the person in question has value, that there's something there, right? That it's, it's not the situation of, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I'm going to believe that there's something there and I am going to keep working with you and harvesting that uh, and allowing that to grow. And I think, you know, that's a conscious decision that a mentor needs to make, yeah. that they're going to have that faith and trust in the person. Yeah. I, I, Mr. Jensen's still alive. I call him Larry now, <laughs> and uh, he's still a, a huge part of my life. And I asked him three years ago, I said, I said, Larry, why me? You know, I mean, you taught thousands of kids. Why me? You know, you, why was I the kid that got the drumsticks? And he said early on in education, one of the first lessons he learned is that he couldn't save every kid. He just couldn't save them all, but he could save one. And every morning he woke up as an educator, he wiggled his toes, he knew he was alive, and he went to work for one kid. And he said it was the game-changing thing in his, his life as a teacher because he understood the power of instead of seeing what's wrong about a person or a situation, he trained himself to see what was right. And he chose the kid that everybody deemed a problem. He, don't, he, deemed, he chose the kid that even that kid deemed themselves a problem. And the focus and the drive was intentionally, how do I change that perspective? Because that changed his reality and obviously that influenced better behavior. Guess who sat up better in class? Guess who stopped tapping as much? Guess whose test scores improved? Because somebody chose to see what was right instead of what was wrong. And uh, it's, it's a powerful thing that, that matters. Well, I think that's an amazing exclamation point on this whole conversation. So looking at our clock on the studio wall, we're about time to wrap up. But Clint, this has been a pleasure. Um, Maybe we need to get you back on and talk a little bit more about your book or your second book. Maybe we need to have you the next time we do a full-on Star Wars after show. Yes. I am in. You let me know. I am in. I am hey, in. Clint, Clint, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? 
Yeah, they can uh, find more on the, about the book uh, on Amazon. It's available for pre-order. Just type in I love it here. And then uh, to connect with me, you can go to clintpulver.com. And then I'm on all the social media platforms as well. Well, thanks, Clint. Thanks, Clint. Any, any last words of wisdom? I would say maybe, maybe just as a close. Uh, one thing that I've tried to live my life by is, is the simple mantra of it's not about being the best in the world. It's about being the best for the world. It's the difference between success and significance. If you look at some of the most famous, popular, prestigious people, you know, if I were to ask you, tell me who the last three NFL MVPs were, who were the last two Academy Award winners for Best Actor, or who were the last two Miss Americas, most people have no clue. But yet, that's what we would deem successful, famous, popularity, wealth, prestige, millions of followers. Nobody, nobody knows who that is. But then if I asked you to tell me the name of a teacher who made a difference in your life, most of us instantly remember who that person is. Or who is the person in your workplace who's made a significant difference in your career? Who's that person? You instantly remember them. Why? Because they got to the part about you. They became a mentor. They were the person that represented and, and communicated your potential and your worth so well to the point that you saw it within yourself. They weren't the best in the world, but they were the best for the world. What an opportunity. That's, that's how you live a life that's worth living. Love it. And with that, we'll wrap it up. So on behalf of Clint and Dana and Jake, this is Bob saying thanks for listening. And we'll see you on our next episode of the Learning Geeks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.